you are in a busy ER shift and you are seeing Heather, a 19-year-old, presenting with severe abdominal pain that began earlier that day. As you evaluate her, you are concerned for appendicitis and decide to order an ultrasound. The radiologist confirms appendicitis and tells you, you know what, it looks like she also has a horseshoe kidney. The kidney appears normal otherwise, and there is no urinary tract dilation or anything. You thank them and discuss these findings with Heather. She has some questions related to her appendix, but she also wonders what the horseshoe kidney means. How did it form, and will it pose any problems for her too? As you prepare your answers, you wonder, how do I explain the development of the kidney and the reasons why a horseshoe kidney forms? And what is the prognosis for Heather and other patients with horseshoe kidney? Consider your answers as we begin this next episode. Welcome to Audiobricks. I'm Adam Weinstein, bringing nephrology from our bricks to your ears. Let's also get started demonstrating how kids are not little adults. After completing this episode, you will be able to 1. Describe development of the kidneys. 2. Describe how the developing kidney migrates superiorly, including related changes in the blood supply. And 3. Discuss development of the bladder, ureters, and urethra. Part 1. How do the kidneys develop? It's important to have a good foundational understanding of development of the urinary system in order to understand both functional and anatomic consequences of various abnormalities of the urinary system. As we'll discuss in this episode, these abnormalities are commonly diagnosed in utero or in newborns, yet they may also present later in childhood or even adulthood. Let's start with the mesoderm. The mature kidneys ultimately arise from the mesoderm. Recall that during week three of development, cells within the blastula form three germ layers, the endoderm, mesoderm, and ectoderm, through the process called gastrulation. The mesoderm, the middle germ layer, is divided into three components, the lateral plate mesoderm, the intermediate mesoderm, and the paraaxial mesoderm on each side. The intermediate mesoderm gives rise to the kidneys and ureters, as well as the gonads. And for a quick question, from what part of which germ layer do the kidneys develop? Kidneys develop from the mesoderm, which divides into three layers, and the intermediate mesoderm will give rise to the kidneys. Urinary tract development itself begins in the fourth week of gestation and continues through weeks 32 through 36. Three successive pairs of progenitor kidneys are formed in a cranial to caudal sequence, beginning with the pronephros early in gestational week four, the mesonephros later in gestational week four, and the metanephros, or what will become the permanent kidney, in gestational week five. With time, the pronephros and then the mesonephros degenerate, with only the metanephros remaining. Let's now discuss each of these steps in even more depth. The development of each pronephros begins early in week four, and they degenerate later in the same week. They are rudimentary in structure and function. Development of each mesonephros begins at the end of week four, just as the pronephros starts to degenerate. 
The mesonephros has some temporary kidney functions, such as making urine during the first trimester of development. However, it also degenerates during that time as the metanephros takes over. The mesonephros drains into a series of mesonephric excretory tubules that themselves drain into the mesonephric duct. It's worthy to note that the mesonephric duct and a few mesonephric tubules do not completely involute in males. Instead, they are retained as part of and contribute to the adult male genital system. In females, the mesonephric ducts mostly degenerate, but remnants of the mesonephric ducts give rise to the Gartner ducts, which are mostly non-functional structures within the Brog ligament of the uterus. They can occasionally cause small asymptomatic cysts felt along the vaginal wall. Each metanephros begins to develop in week five and arises from two structures called the metanephric blastema and the ureteric bud. The ureteric bud is an outgrowth of the mesonephric duct, close to where it drains into the anterior part of the cloaca, which will eventually develop into the bladder. It gives rise to the most distal part of the nephron, the renal collecting ducts, as well as the renal collecting system, for example, the minor and major calyces and the ureters draining all the way down to the trigone of the bladder. When the ureteric bud develops, it interacts with the metanephric blastema. The latter gives rise to the more proximal parts of the nephron, including the glomerulus and the Bowman's capsule, proximal tubule, loop of Henle, and distal convoluted tubule. The metanephric blastema and ureteric bud interact in an intricate biochemical induction pathway called a reciprocal control system in which each influences the other's development. For example, a growth factor released by the metanephric blastema binds to receptors on the ureteric bud to cause its branching and differentiation. Likewise, signals from the ureteric bud cause the metanephric blastema to differentiate into the mature nephron structures. The interruption of this induction pathway can cause congenital anomalies like multicystic dysplastic kidney or renal dysplasia or even renal agenesis. Let's review what we've just discussed with a question. What parts of the permanent kidney are formed by the ureteric bud? Only the collecting ducts, calyces, and renal pelvis are formed by the ureteric bud, which also forms the ureters all the way down to the bladder trigone. Part two, how do the kidneys migrate to their mature location? The metanephric kidneys first form in the pelvis of the embryo, which of course is not where kidneys lie in their mature forms, which in case you need a refresher, it's in the retroperitoneal space just below the diaphragm. So how do the kidneys rise up to their mature location? Well, as the embryo grows and lengthens in week six to nine of gestation, the metanephros or kidneys also appear to ascend into the upper lumbar region. The kidneys aren't really moving upward. Instead, the rapid growth of the embryonic torso, specifically in the lumbar and sacral regions, causes the kidneys relative displacement and relocation. Importantly, during this process, temporary arteries between the kidneys and aorta continuously form at higher and higher levels until the kidneys have reached their final position between T12 and L3. 
At this point, the final renal arteries connect the aorta to the kidneys, and the temporary renal arteries degenerate one by one as the kidneys ascend. Ascent of the kidneys can go awry, resulting in unique congenital malformations. For example, in a pelvic kidney, one or both kidneys fail to ascend and remain in the pelvis. Another example is the horseshoe kidney, where the lower poles of the two kidneys form fused, resulting in a single kidney in a U or horseshoe shape. The signal kidney is prevented from full ascent by the root of the inferior mesenteric artery in the midline. Part 3. How do the urinary bladder, ureters, and urethra develop? Bladder arises from the endodermally derived cloaca, which is the distal end of the hindgut, located in the pelvis of the embryo. During weeks 4 to 7 of development, a wedge of mesoderm called the urorectal septum grows downward into the cloaca and divides the cloaca into an anterior and posterior compartment. The anterior compartment becomes the urogenital sinus, which gives rise to the urinary bladder and the urethra. It also gives rise to the uterus and vagina in females. The posterior compartment is the anorectal canal, which gives rise to the rectum and anus. Okay, let's review this first part with a question. What is the fate of the primitive cloaca? The primitive cloaca is divided in weeks 4 to 7 by a urorectal septum. The anterior compartment becomes the urogenital sinus, contributing to the bladder and urethra, and the posterior compartment becomes the anorectal canal. The allantois arises from the cloaca and extends to the umbilical cord, forming a connection between these structures in utero. Before birth, the allantois atrophies and becomes a fibrous connection called the urachus, connecting the bladder and umbilical cord. The urachus is part of the median umbilical ligament after birth. When the allantois atrophy fails to occur, a persistent connection may exist between the bladder and the umbilicus. A common symptom of this so-called patent urachus is leaking urine from the umbilicus. Finally, moving up the urinary tract to the ureters, recall that we discussed the ureters originate from the ureteric bud, which branch off from the distal mesonephric duct near the cloaca. As the embryo matures, the ureteric buds become the ureters and connect into the posterior bladder wall, where they are incorporated into the triangle-shaped bladder trigone. And that's all I have today for development of the urinary system. So let's see if we've completed our goals for this episode. First, can you describe development of the kidneys? Three successive kidneys develop cranial to caudally, called the pronephros, mesonephros, and metanephros. The first two regress while the metanephros develops into the permanent kidney. The metanephros is formed from the interaction between the ureteric bud and outgrowth of the mesonephric duct and the metanephric blastema. Next, can you describe how the developing kidney migrates superiorly, including related changes in the blood supply? (laughs) 
The kidneys originate in the pelvis of the embryo and ascend into the upper lumbar region as the embryonic torso lengthens. During this process, temporary arteries between the kidneys and aorta continuously form and degenerate at increasingly superior levels until the kidneys have reached their final position between T12 and L3. Lastly, can you discuss development of the bladder, ureters, and urethra? The cloaca, the distal portion of the hindgut, is divided by the urorectal septum to give rise to the urogenital sinus, which forms the urinary bladder and urethra, and posteriorly, the anorectal canal. The ureteric bud gives rise to the ureters, which connect with the posterior bladder wall at the bladder trigone. Thinking back to your patient Heather, who is a 19-year-old with appendicitis and an incidental finding of horseshoe kidney, as you prepare to discuss these findings with her, you wonder, how do I explain the development of the kidney and the reason why horseshoe kidneys form? And what is the prognosis for Heather and other patients with horseshoe kidneys? You explain that when her kidneys were first forming early in fetal development, the bottom of her two kidneys fused together, forming a single C-shaped or horseshoe-shaped kidney. When this happened, the single horseshoe-shaped kidney lied lower in the body than normal kidneys. This in and of itself doesn't cause any problems, as the kidney is otherwise typically fully functional, but it does mean the kidney is in a location that is not as naturally protected. Some people with horseshoe kidneys can have other abnormalities of the urinary system develop associated with it, such as hydronephrosis or urinary tract dilation. But as Heather's ultrasound was otherwise normal, you reassure her that this is most likely an incidental finding. Her kidneys otherwise formed normally, her urinary tract otherwise formed normally, and that you expect her to have an excellent prognosis. And that's all I have for today's audio brick. Thanks for joining me. If you like this episode, give it a thumbs up or a comment. You can enjoy the full brick experience online at www.usmle-rx.com, complete with illustrations, questions, flashcards, and active learning. Stay healthy out there.